Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And as we have sung, so we pray that we might be nearer to you. We're reminded of the part of the song that talks about our dreams being nearer to you. And it seems that so much of our dreams are filled with all kinds, often unexplainable thoughts, sometimes even sinful thoughts. And very little dreaming of you. We would pray, Father, that you would help us as we live in this sinful body, in this sinful world. We surely thank you for the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby we are justified in thy sight. We thank you for loving us before the world was, choosing us and giving us to Christ and Christ to us. I do pray that we do not think such things with such with a haughty spirit or high mindedness or anything of that nature. For we do identify with that old publican that would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven and smote on his breasts, asking that you would be merciful, yea, propitiatory to such a sinner as he. It seems there are wounds and bruises and putrefying sores throughout our being. And yet at the same time, we verily believe that we're not what we used to be. Again, we pray for persecuted saints not only in the Russian-Ukrainian war, but around the globe, wherever they are, whether in this country or in the darkest regions of jungles, 
and pagan religions. Now we pray that you would bless us as we continue looking into your word. And it is in Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. We left off this morning. We were actually in Romans chapter 14 and 15, mainly 14. But we were looking at the fact that Peter, as a Jew, did not sin by eating with the Gentiles. What his sin was is identifying with those Judaizers and turning his back on the Gentiles that he had formerly formerly, uh, associated with. And as we pointed out this morning, when the Lord appeared unto Peter and had him to go to Cornelius and preach the gospel to this Gentile, then he was a, a a trailblazer in preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And since uh, the Jewish dietary laws was a huge part of their ceremonial and civil laws that were combined together in many ways, we read from 1 Timothy where uh, he said that all, everything that God created was good and nothing was to be refused to eat and it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Oftentimes when people try to say that there are certain foods that we should not eat because they're unclean, they always go to the Old Testament, not realizing that the New Testament uh, is, is a different covenant. And there's a lot that could be said that we don't have time or will not take the time to try to cover all of the nuances of of this thing. But we're mainly showing that if you think you shouldn't eat anything, you shouldn't turn your nose up at one that thinks that it's all right to eat. And one that thinks it's all right to eat everything shouldn't turn his nose up to those that have some questions about certain things. And we're looking at some of the verses of Scripture along with that. And so, in Romans chapter 14, we read this morning verses 1 through 4, but in Dropping down to verse 14. Well, let me say this.
Let's read, start at verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now let me say this. Uh, there is a, uh, a sense in which we are to judge. Uh, when Paul wrote to the congregation at Corinth, he told them uh, to exclude the brother that was sleeping with his father's wife in other words, they had to judge to do that. And so, and, and what we read in Matthew 18 this morning, when someone refuses to be submissive to the congregation, when that person is wrong, then the congregation is to make a judgment and to exclude him. And our Lord said that we're not to cast pearls before swine. So you have to make a judgment to do that. So there is, there is a legitimate time and occasion for judgment. But when it comes down to this of the dietary, then that's a different thing. Now I'll go ahead and read verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. There is nothing that is unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom thy brother died. Now we don't have time to go through all of... of uh, uh, well, let's read verse 23, the last verse of that chapter. And he that doubteth it is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, we'll say that, uh, this about that last verse. That doesn't mean that if you think everything, anything's all right to do, then you do it. But whatsoever is not of faith, that is, whatsoever is not according to the Word of God. And we'll see that more about the Word of God and what faith is when we get to the 16th verse of the second chapter of Galatians, which I thought we would get to this afternoon, but I don't, right now I'm not sure that we're going to get there. But we're going to see that faith is not what you think is right. Most people look at verse 23 and say, well, if I think it's all right to do it, I'm going to do it. And if you don't think it's right to do it, then you shouldn't do it, but, and, and so on. And they make faith to be their idea and their opinion. Well, 
obviously, it's like uh, I heard of one man that tried to justify leaving his wife and uh, and uh, shacking up with another woman, thinking that's the will of God, and he tried to use uh, scripture to 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 justify his perverse way. Well, we can't do that. And we're not to take this out of his context either. But we're looking at it primarily from the standpoint of eating various meats and showing that Peter, by eating Gentile food, was not sinning. And that all things are sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And Paul says here in verse 14, he said, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Nothing unclean of itself. Now he's talking about legitimate food. He's not talking about chemicals. You look at some of the stuff that you buy in the grocery store and see what all's in it, you begin to wonder if there's any nutritional value in it at all. And there are people that say, well, I'm not going to eat any meat, and they'll eat some of this junk food that they can buy in grocery stores and everything else that's not supposed to have any meat in it, but it got so many chemicals and everything else in it, no wonder you're dying of cancer or even heart trouble and whatever else. But I don't want to chase that rabbit either. <laughs> My point is this, that nothing is unclean in and of itself as we saw in First Timothy this morning. Now look at First Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm having to pick verses of Scripture because of time's sake. We'll take up in verse 8. Well, verse 7. How be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. And we'd need to go back up above and get all of that, but we don't have... For some man with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing of offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So it doesn't matter if if you're a meat eater or a vegetarian. It doesn't make you any better before God. And too many people equate their salvation with just such 
things as that. Well, I'm a vegetarian, or what I eat, that makes me more spiritual than what you are. We need to get out of that. We need to get out of that. Obviously, if you have a health problem, and if certain foods do not agree with you, then don't eat it. You know, sometimes some someone would say, well, I just can't eat cooked cabbage. It, uh, it, it bloats me. Or it might be something else. I just threw that out because it would come to mind. And somebody else say, well, if I eat such and such, it gives me the heartburns and this and that. Well, there might be reason for why it does it. You might not chew your food as much as you ought to. You know, it could be things like that that cause it. But it could be that certain foods just do not agree with certain people. And, obviously, you should stay away from that. But eating certain foods or doing without certain foods does not make you any more spiritual. You need to keep that in mind. If we eat, we're not any better. Neither if we eat not, are we the worse. Paul plainly says by the inspiration of the Scriptures, Verse 9, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. If there is a brother that does not understand the Scriptures as much as you do, and they think that they shouldn't eat something, then you need to be careful what you do around them. And we can include alcohol in this. I'd have to go back to Romans 15 to show that uh, that's included as well. Obviously, drunkenness is a sin. But the drinking of alcohol is not a sin, according to Scripture. Uh, I mean, the word wine is used over 600 times in the Scriptures. And when I did a study on that years ago, I looked up all 600 and how many verses there was and uh, the time wine was used. And even though there sometimes it was condemned, more than it was condemned, it was uh, spoken of in a positive manner. People say, well, the, the, the wine that Christ, water He turned into wine, wasn't really wine. Well, that's saying that uh, grape juice is not really grape juice. If it's not wine, what is it? Say, so, well, it's grape juice. Well, I guess grape juice is not grape juice. Grape juice is wine. You know, that's just, just people make all kinds of arguments to put up with whatever they want to put up with. But let's say that you do not have a problem with drinking wine sometimes with a meal. But you have a brother or sister or maybe even a neighbor that's not even a believer. 
and they come to your house and you know that they they don't they think it's wrong to drink the wine, what you what should you do? Not serve it. Why? Because you don't want to be a stumbling block to them. It's all right for you to do it, but you don't need to do it in such a way that it is offensive to others. And I've heard people that profess to be Christian to say this. Well, I believe it's all right to drink, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. Well, that's wrong. They're sinning with that kind of attitude. They're taking liberty with something that is not condemned according to Scripture, but even though what they're doing is not condemned according to Scripture, the attitude in which they're doing it makes it sinful. Verse 9 again. 1 Corinthians 8. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened, or thinks it's all right to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge, in other words, you, you know that it's, it's really not anything wrong. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish. Doesn't mean go to hell. That means that he'll, he'll sin. For whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... Notice the rest of it. Ye sin against Christ. So you're out with some people. Frankly, I think it's all right to drink some wine occasionally. But I would never personally, to my knowledge, unless I'm in some country where the custom might be different or something of that nature, I don't know. But to my knowledge, I would never drink it publicly. And for the reason that a lot of people in this country, whether they're Christian or not Christian, think that for a Christian to do so, they think it's wrong and they think they're sinning. So why should I take my knowledge and rub it in their nose, so to speak? since I have poor circulation in my feet from when I broke my neck uh, back many years ago, 61. Sometimes on cold nights uh, in order to get my feet warm before I go to bed so I can go to sleep earlier, a few minutes beforehand, I'll take a sip or two of wine and let my feet warm up. And so therefore I usually have wine on hand. <laughs> but uh, my, my, my point is, if there were somebody at home at, at my house 
and they th thought that that was wrong, I wouldn't even let them know that I had the wine. No need to. You're not trying to. You're not trying to prove something to the brother. Well, this is all right. You need to go ahead and do it. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, no. When you, when you wound the 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 conscience of a weak brother, you sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, that doesn't mean that they just get mad about it. It means the word offend there, we don't we don't we didn't write all of this down. It's the idea to sin. If I make thy brother to offend to sin, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul said it's all right to eat meat. But if it offends my brother, if it causes my brother to sin, then I wouldn't eat meat as long as the world stands. I'll become a vegetarian before I do that. But Paul didn't stop eating meat. So it's not the idea that somebody didn't like it. It's the idea of causing one to sin. And much, much, much more could be said about that. But I hope I've given you enough to uh, get the principle of it. Dropping down in chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, Have we not power to eat and to drink? In other words, we have the, the right, the authority, the power to eat. To eat what? Food? No, just to eat uh, meat. Or to drink. Drink water? No, wine. Dropping down to chapter 10. And Paul carries on this principle, but for time's sake, come down to verse 25. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. Now we'll say more about that in a few minutes. But notice what he said. He didn't say, if there's clean animals sold in the shambles. He said, whatsoever. Whatsoever sold in the shambles, if you want to eat it, eat it. Like I said, we're going to say more about that in a moment, but I want to emphasize it now. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, whatsoever is sold in the meat market, if it's shrimp, Lobster, filet mignon, squid, clams, goat, sheep, frogs, I like frog legs, 
That's bullfrog, not uh, toad frogs. <laughs> and that chicken? Squ- uh, eel? I mean, wh- whatsoever. Whatever sold. Whatsoever sold in the shambles, that eat asking no questions. For conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's another way of saying what uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy when he said, uh, everything that God made is good. If any man, excuse me, if any of them that believe not, Alright, you've got an unconverted neighbor. Bid you to a feast. He might even be a Satan worshiper. Though I doubt that I would be around a Satan worshiper. But you never know. You might have a neighbor that's a good neighbor to you. Might be a good friend to you in every way. He doesn't tell you that he worships Satan. Most likely it's going to come out if you're around him very much. But uh, you get my point. The point is, he didn't. Whatever, whoever the neighbor is, if he's an unbeliever, and bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go. In other words, if you want to go to his house, to the meal, go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no questions for conscience' sake. In other words, he puts stuff down there and say, "Well, well, what is that? What's in that dish? You don't ask what's in the dish. Well, why did you serve that dish? Don't ask why you served the dish. Because if you ask why he served the dish, he may say, "This is in sacrifice to my God." Verse 28 covers that. But if any man say to you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. Not for your sake, because you know that you could still eat it and it not defile you. Paul had already said, we know that whatever we eat, there's nothing wrong with it. But notice what he said. Eat not for His sake that showed it. And for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own conscience, not your conscience, but of the other, the other man's conscience. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? In other words... If a man tells you that this is offered in sacrifice to idols, then you can't eat it because if you do, then that man is going to think that you are in agreement with his idol. But if you eat it without even asking any questions and he doesn't tell you that, then he doesn't know whether you are in agreement with him or not. 
So, like I said, you could have eaten it, and the same things in the marketplace. If you go and somebody say, "Well, this is this is in sacrifice to some god or this that," way, well, you wouldn't buy it. But what you go to the marketplace, you want to buy something, you want a certain cut of meat, buy it and don't ask any questions. That's what he was saying back up there in verse twenty-five. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. The shambles refers to the butcher's shop. And whatever is sold in the butcher's shop, eat. And notice Paul did not say, eat only clean animals of the Old Testament dietary law. He said, whatsoever is sold, you can eat it. If it's grasshoppers and crickets, or worms, or scorpions, or lizards, or spiders. You say, well, are you going to eat all of that? Most, some of that stuff I answered, I, I don't care for. I don't think I have the stomach for it. But that's not the point. It's not, it's, 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 and if somebody has a luxury for spiders and scorpions... then all I can do is say, God bless you, brother. You've got an appetite that I don't have, but that doesn't make you any better or any worse than I am. And I should not turn my nose up at him. I might have to turn my nose up at the food, <laughs> but I would try not to do that. Why? Because I don't want to be offensive to him. You see, the important thing about this is your brother showing love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, our Lord said. By, uh, that you know, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Not four, but two. See, I could say I've got some water for you in this glass, but it doesn't do you any good till I give it to you. Love one to another. Love one to another. I've got this written down about the shambles. It's market for the sale of meat appears to have been unknown in Judea previous to the Roman conquest. We learn from the Talmud that most of the public butchers under the Romans were Gentiles and that the Jews were forbidden to deal with them because they exposed the flesh of unclean beasts for sale. Hence Paul dissuaded the Corinthian converts from adopting Jewish uh, scruples. says, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. I copied that from McClintock and Strong's Encyclopedia. But that's what it was. 
It's just where they sold food. And for the Jew, most of it was, they thought it was unclean, but not so, says Paul. Actually, not so, says God. Because Paul was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, therefore, having said all of that, Peter would not have done anything wrong by eating unclean meat as identified under the Old Testament law. A Jew can eat ham. I know a Jew that does eat ham. There was an old Jew that used to live here in this uh, this city. Uh, he came out to hear me preach one time and ate had lunch with us at home when we were in our, our previous location. He said that he was of the Levitical order. He wasn't a good Jew because he was a teetotaler. And I told him, I said, you can't be a good Jew and be a teetotaler. He said, you're right. (laughs) But his grandmother used to cook for Jewish priests. So he said, and I have no doubt to, uh, any reason to doubt him. But he said when she cooked the filet mignon for the priest, she always wrapped them in bacon when she cooked them and took the bacon off when she served them to the priest. That shows the orthodoxy of many orthodox. But the point is, she didn't violate any law of Scripture by doing that. She violated Jewish law, but she didn't violate Scripture. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, we should not do anything that would be offensive to the other if it would cause them to stumble into sin. I don't need to go back over Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. So the problem with Peter was not eating with the Gentiles beforehand. That wasn't a problem. It was a problem to the Jews, but it wasn't a problem with God. The problem was Peter's hypocrisy, his dissimulation. That's what the Greek word dissimulation means. It's where our our word hypocrisy comes from. And I'm not going to look at all the places that's used. We've got about six times. But see, Peter had been eating with the Gentiles, but then these Judaizers came along and uh, not only trying to enforce circumcision, but trying to bring everybody back under the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And Peter started going along with them. So he was being a hypocrite. Because at one time he he wasn't doing that, and now he's going back and doing it again.
And these people said they came from James, but uh, I didn't read that this morning. But in James chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 15, we've read the first verse, but I'll read it again. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. But drop down to uh, verse 24. James said, For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us, have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. James said we didn't didn't send anybody out to say that. So there were some that tried to say so. Judaizers today and Judaizers can be among Gentiles. Judaizers today are no different in the days of Paul. Judaizers put their own tradition and ideas above the clear and plain teaching of the Holy Scriptures. Anybody that tries to make a law that God's law word doesn't make, they're a Judaizer. They're a Judaizer. The issue was not simply that of eating food or eating certain types of food. The issue is how a person is to be justified before God. In other words, the whole issue in Galatians has to do with justification. And when people use their traditions and in their thinking about their certain customs and traditions that it makes them more holy and more spiritual and God accepts them better for that than anything else. They're nothing but a Judaizer. They put in a law that God hasn't put in. Some people say, well, if you fast, you ought to fast like I fast. Or you ought to pray as long as I do. Or pray as much as I do. Or pray when I do. Or you need to read as many verses of Scripture as I do each day. If you don't read as many chapters as I do, you're not as spiritual as I am. All that is is Judaizers. Because such people think that that makes them more holy and they think God accepts them more because of what they're doing, that's nothing but being a Judaizer. I encourage my members to read through the Bible, but I don't encourage how many chapters or verses that they ought to read. I encourage my members to pray, but I don't tell about how often they ought to pray. Or how long they ought to pray. And if I read more chapters than somebody else, that doesn't make me more holy than somebody else. And you'll hear people sometimes sit around, well, I read so many chapters every day. What are they saying by that? 
They're saying that they're doing something more spiritual than somebody else. Now, if a group of people are sitting around talking about reading the Bible every day, and somebody says, well, how many, do you, how, uh, how many chapters do you read? Well, I read so and so. Somebody else said, well, I read such and such. Somebody else said, well, I read this much. And if all three people have different numbers of chapters to be read, that doesn't make one any more holy than the other. But we are sinners, aren't we not? Are we not? And we have a tendency to think because somebody does something more than the other, they're more spiritual. Well, beloved, we're all justified and accepted by God in one thing and one thing only, the person and work of Christ. And that's what is at stake here in these verses. The issue was not simply that of eating food or eating certain types of food. The issue is, how is a person justified with God? The truth of justification is essential because this is the whole issue and heart of the Gospel. That's the reason we read verse 16 with verses 11 through 15 this morning showing how that when Paul had confronted Peter to the face and and all of this, he said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. It all has to do with our justification. And man being the sinner that he is, likes to think that he is more accepted with God by how much he does and what he does instead of the person and work of Christ. Now obviously a man that loves the Lord, he's going to spend time with the Lord, he's going to pray, he's going to do this, that, or the other. But we're not talking about the fruits of justification, we're talking about justification. And beloved, if I read five times as much in the Bible as you do each day, I'm not any more justified than you are. And you're not any less justified than I am. Our justification is in the person and work of Christ. And we're going to be stressing that as we go forward. We'll stress that as we go forward. We must not be afraid of the circumcision. That is, those who oppose the truth of justification. If anything is to be done by man or added to the justification of man... It's no longer the gospel. If you add anything to God's justifying righteousness, it's no longer the gospel. 
Paul said they did not walk uprightly. That means they didn't walk straight-footedly. They didn't go directly forward. It was not according to the truth of the Gospel. And the truth of the Gospel we saw in First Galatians chapter 1, verses 3-9. through It appears that the circumcision was the thing debated. However, the issue is the truth of the Gospel. To add circumcision for justification, to justification, then one becomes a debtor to the whole law. Salvation is either by works or by grace. Romans 11.6 So the whole issue about Paul confronting Peter to the face still had to do with justification or the heart of the Gospel. And the Lord willing, we'll take that up in verse 16 through the rest of the chapter next Lord's Day. Let us pray. Father, keep us from our, our sinful self in being tempted to think because we may pray more than somebody does or read and study more than somebody does or visit more or give more or sing more or whatever we might put into it. That it makes us more accepted by You. No, we're only accepted in the righteousness of Christ. I thank You, my God, for the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I pray that You would help us to take heed how we stand. If Peter could be led astray, being the strong man that he was, how much more could we in thinking about the outward things that are done, even the things that we're supposed to do, even things that are by nature of a spiritual man, that He will do, because someone prays more than we do, or we may pray more than someone, doesn't make either one of us any better. That is, before you. We're only accepted in the Beloved, in the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe that, and our trust is in that. Thank You for this truth as given to us by our Lord Himself, in whom we pray. Amen.